Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the first in a two-part series we're going to do on community organizing. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your kneading needles or crochet hook and join us. But first, let us introduce ourselves. I'm Dawn Miller. I am a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Pastor Amanda has the week off, and joining me today, we have a special guest. I'm Deacon Bonnie, a member at Central and Deacon here for the past year. Okay, so we picked community organizing, and Pastor Amanda was really interested in getting your thoughts on this specifically. So let's start with what is it? What are we talking about when we say community organizing? Community organizing is a set of tools and a framework that really emphasizes the capacity for people to work collectively for the common good. And my own particular experience has been mostly in faith-based organizing, which is what it sounds like. It's bringing your faith into relationship with how you help a community increase its capacity to act. Okay. I went looking for what community organizing was because I'm going to be honest, I really have very little understanding of what community organizing means. And what I found fascinating was this tidbit where they were talking about what it's not. And it's not necessarily activism and it's not a few other things. So what is the goal of community organizing? The goal of community organizing really is that sense of increasing a community's capacity to act through uh, recognizing individual and collective pressures and working in your shared self-interest. So there's about 50 buzzwords for you. (laughs) Yes, Capacity to act is really a definition of power. So how can a community, a group of people, collectively have power? When you think about our American societal structures, basically, you know, society in the past was made up of really three realms. One is the political realm, and one is the institutional realm, particularly the economic realm. And then you have the individual realm. Mm -hmm. And in our culture, the power of the individual realm has continually been shrunken by the economic realm. And the economic realm has even taken over much of the influence on the political realm. Mm -hmm. So money makes the rules in our capitalist society at kind of a very base level. And it can leave the individual, especially an individual without money, without many resources to make change and shape the world. Mm -hmm. So think particularly about the Supreme Court decision that made corporations people. People. Mm -hmm. And what what that really did to the ability and prospect of actual people, individual people saying, but this is the world I want to live in versus large multi-million dollar corporations saying, well, I like a world where I can extract all the fossil fuels I want. You might like a world with water you can drink, but I'm not worried about your county. I'm worried about my bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so what's the recourse in those structures? And so because the power of the individual is so diminished in our systems, organizing really looks at collectivizing individual power. How can you and I and other people who have shared interest, meaning like what's our common goal, or who have identified shared pressures, you and I are both suffering under some circumstance. How can we recognize one another 
and then get into conversation together and work collectively with others to make change. One example of this that is very real in my mind, I grew up in the 1980s on a farm in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. And the 80s was the time of the farm crisis. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in the middle of that. And I also grew up in the middle of a culture that was very individualistic. Your success or failure was all about you and your ability to make good and wise decisions or your foolishness, your ability to be a hard worker or your lackadaisical ways. That's what decided whether you survived or didn't survive the farm crisis in that mindset. Mm -hmm. In reality, the farm crisis was a systemic crisis. It was an economic crisis driven by international markets and by national banking. So it's a lot like the housing bubble. At sure. one point, land was valued at one amount, and then all of a sudden it was falsely inflated. And what that meant for farmers was it's your land that you borrow against in order to buy things like fertilizer, seed, and the giant pieces of equipment that it takes for modern farming. So when the land prices were falsely elevated with no real underlying reason, mm -hmm. that meant the borrowing capacity was greatly inflated, which meant that people extended into that because that's how farming works. Sure. You are land and, rich, cash poor. Yes. So within that, many families lost everything. And when a farm family loses everything, they don't just like become unemployed. They lose their home. Mm -hmm. They lose literally like mm -hmm. there would be auctions on tractor trailers with grandma's China and your kid's trike. It was devastating. And because of the cultural norm of bootstraps and you either succeeded or failed based on your own qualities, farmers stayed isolated from one another mm -hmm. and mental health crises and suicide were rampant mm -hmm. because people only blamed themselves and their communities tended to blame them too and make them pariahs. Like if you'd have worked harder, you would have been able to get through it. Yes. And so what this has to do with organizing is that an organization like the Grange would be a mediating institution where farmers could come together and actually talk about their experience, which identifies that this isn't an isolating experience, mm -hmm. uncover patterns that are leading to the circumstance, meaning, oh, it's not just me. I'm not just someone who made a bad gamble. This is the way the large system is set up. And I'm an individual piece who's getting swallowed up by the big system. And then decide together that we have shared interest in pushing back on that system and making change. And so that would be an example of like what the role of organizing would be in a systemic crisis. And because so much of what happens truly in our day-to-day -day lives is manufactured by big systems, mm -hmm. the capitalist system, our government system, all sort of push us into certain ways of being, even into just like who lives in what neighborhood, sure. who has access to which schools, food deserts, all of these things are determined quite often by economy and then laws that are heavily influenced by the capacity to earn money for larger structures. And so what happens 
to the individuals who live in an underserved neighborhood that ends up being a food desert, that ends up having one bus stop when it needs three, all these kinds of things until the community can come together and collectivize its actions so that it's systemically pushing back. So this is something that you witnessed, as you said, growing up. When did you decide to start doing it? How did you get interested in it? And where is the start for you in all this? The start for me is in 2010. Okay. Wasn't really familiar with community organizing before then. And my first introduction came through what eventually evolved into a group called Portland Eastside Ministries. And that was a number of urban, small Lutheran congregations coming together to have the conversations that do exactly what I just described break down the isolation. Mm -hmm. So each of these congregations was experiencing what what would be called decline, less money in the budget, fewer Fewer members members. in Mm -hmm. the pews, less capacity to act again back to power, less influence, less volunteer power, less money power. And so in that experience of decline, breaking down that isolation, it's not just you. You aren't just a bad group of people in a bad church who isn't doing it right. Looking at the big picture, looking at things like the Pew Research Study, looking at writers who are writing about this, not just in my neighborhood and not just in my state, but looking at the whole nation, not just looking at my denomination, but looking at Christianity as a whole. Sure. And even the concept of joining things as a whole, that was all on the decline. And so when you could understand these larger systemic, it's like understanding the difference between climate change and weather. Sure. So the person who looks outside and it's snowing in May says, ah, global warming, what are they talking about? Well, we know that climate change could very well be why it's snowing in Kentucky in May. Yep. Because it's not this simplistic what's happening in my pinpoint on the map, but what are the large systemic shifts happening? So to help the congregations understand, and that helps you move out of this spiral of blaming one another and blaming yourself and feeling bad, like we're failures. That's a pit that just keeps you isolated and keeps you from moving toward any solutions or actions or capacity to act. You become debilitated and you believe that you're at fault You don't identify what's actually operating, and then you can't take action to change the outcomes. And so just by having those conversations, you open up that first step of what's really going on, and can we identify then kind of what we would call actionable items? Mm -hmm. What can we move on? And what do we need to know? You know, what is it that we don't know and that we're not going to find out if we spend all of our energy just in self-blame? So that was the first set of conversations where I was introduced to these concepts and principles, and I was introduced to it in the faith system. And for me, there was a really clear link to my own theology, my own understanding of God, and that made it easy to attach to. Sure. So that was 2010. We're now many years beyond that. Where have you gone with community organizing since then? Have you stayed in specific areas or has it grown to other parts of your life? 
I think the foundation of my own ministry has often been what I learned in community organizing. So in faith-based community organizing, we practice the three great listenings, listening to God, listening to each other, and listening to the world. So the listening to God through faith-based organizing comes through spiritual grounding, always starting in scripture, and always being in prayer, both individually and collectively. And then the listening to each other comes primarily through one-to-one conversations, small group conversations, house meetings, and then listening to the world. It's sort of an inside-outside question. So especially in the church, my sense is the traditional church shaped us really well for the first one. Listen to God. Mm -hmm. You should study scripture and you should pray. Listening to each other, not so much. (laughs) And listening to the world outside us, probably not at all. Mm -hmm. As far as foundational skills about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be able to activate my faith in action? How do I actually move beyond this is a me and Jesus thing? You know, I read scripture and I pray and I know that Jesus is my personal savior. And that's, we're done. That's the uh, vertical component of faith. And we just stay there. So understanding faith to have a cross shape and have a horizontal component means we need to find the way to get into real conversation with one another. And then for something like a congregation where if we become a relational congregation in conversation with each other, for us to be of any good to anyone who is not us, we have to have the capacity to listen outside our walls, to hear what our neighbor needs. So those practices have been part of really everything I've engaged in for the last 11 years. I had the privilege of being a funded organizer through the Oregon Synod and through the ELCA for a number of years. And even now in my call as deacon to Central, those are the frameworks, the structures that I operate out of. Excellent. You've been talking about it as a faith-based thing If you're looking at community organizing as a non-faith-based thing, how does that differ? My opinion about how that differs is this. It's the emphasis on ongoing relationship. Okay. So my experience of traditional organizing, industrial organizing, is about objectives. You set out to accomplish a specific thing or change a specific thing. And relationships get built along the way but they are not the priority. And my experience of faith-based organizing is that the relationships are always at least equal in priority to what it is you want to achieve. So accomplishing what would be considered a win and getting a policy change or building a piece of infrastructure or some other piece like that and moving on and not staying connected would be a reasonable expectation of business-style organizing, industrial organizing, union organizing. Sure. Relationships are part of how you get the job done. They're important, but they are not sought out as a specific objective. And in faith-based organizing, the relationship is key. If I, as an organizer, could, quote-unquote, accomplish something and just get it done, but the relationships aren't there, there's not a win in that. So you might have the tangible outcome you wanted, but if it hasn't actually been about connecting people to one another and helping people gain capacities that are for the long term and make them better equipped for the next 
community-based move. It's incomplete. It's not what we're looking for. So that's been my primary draw to faith-based organizing is, is that I find it much more relational and that emphasis is more on relationship than objective. Those are intention, but they're tilted in a way that I'm more inclined to be engaged by. Mm-hmm. This is all wonderful and fabulous, and I can't wait for our next part of the series, but that's actually going to lead me to my last question for this one. What is your favorite part of community organizing so far? Listening. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Hearing the way the spirit moves, both in, in individuals and then as it grows in community to the capacity to work for the kingdom is amazing. We, we think the story of God and God's people is contained in the Bible, but it's written in our neighbor's hearts every day. And if we have the chance to sit with them, we will see God at work. And it is amazing. That seems like such a faith-based answer because I would assume that getting some kind of result for your organizing efforts would be the most rewarding part. But I love that your answer is very much more about the people and the process more than any sort of end game or outcome. The organizing is the sacred piece. The outcomes are are the fuel. Okay. So having what would be called a win is the encouragement that lets you believe that you can try again. But wins are hard to get. I can't and so imagine. if you're only willing to do the work, if you can get the adrenaline from the win, I think burnout is really pretty possible. And so when you find the sacred in the doing the work, when you find the sacred in the journey of being knit together, more so than landing at any particular destination, then that's where the reward is. Destinations pass. We don't really build things that go on forever, whether it's a legal change or a piece of infrastructure but the relationships do, and they seed out into changing the world just by being in relationship. That is the most delightful and hopeful answer I think I've ever gotten on something like this. Thank you, Deacon Bonnie, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about community organizing. I look forward to sitting down with you next week as we continue this discussion. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes. Please email questions you have for anything to us at podcast at centralportland.org. You can also find us on Facebook, and you can leave comments or suggest a topic for us to cover. And as always, please remember, God loves you no matter what.